In searching for God knows what, Donald Miller tells, I think it's a book that he wrote, uh, Donald Miller tells of a lecture delivered to students at a Christian college. He began by telling them he was going to present the gospel. However, he was going to leave out an element. He began by describing the rampant sin that plagued our culture. Homosexuality, abortion, drug use, song lyrics, newspaper headlines, and so on and so on. He said that the wages of sin is death. He talked about teen pregnancy, sexually transmitted diseases, and all the supporting statistics. He described how sin separates us from God. He spoke of the beauty of morality, telling stories and citing examples of how righteous living was so much better. And then he detailed the greatness of heaven. He spoke of repentance and how their lives could be God-honoring and God-centered. Describing what happened when he finished the lecture, Miller writes this, I rested my case and I asked the class if they could tell me what I had left out of this gospel presentation. He said, not a single one raised their hand. I presented a gospel, he says, to a Christian Bible, to Christian Bible college students, and I left out Jesus. And nobody noticed. That's incredible. It's terrible. It's frightening. Folks, there is no gospel presentation without Jesus Christ. Because it is Jesus, the, his person and his work, that is the gospel. And we better make sure that we understand exactly who he is and what he has done if you and I are going to proclaim that gospel. So when we proclaim the gospel, we should definitely make sure that we keep Jesus in the center of it. And that's exactly what Peter does right here. In verse 21, Peter says this, And it shall be, quoting Joel, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter now introduces who that Lord is, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he gives us essentials of the character, the person, the work of Jesus that you and I can be certain of and that you and I can proclaim to a world that needs to meet him. I want to give you an encouraging statistic. This was a study that was done recently in the UK, I think it was 2023, my, if my thing would work here. Oh. 
I'll give it to you in a second. It's going to keep you anticipating. My computer's not working. All right, let's try this again. There you go. Let's see what happens now. There it is. All right. This is a study that was done. It's called Talking Jesus. Real quick, the, the statistic to the left there, the greenish, bluish one, that is conversations. So the conversation that someone had with a Christian was one of the, the main influencing uh, events that made them become a Christian. And when they were asked about that conversation, 96% of them said they wanted to know more about Jesus Christ. That's a lot. 96% said in that conversation, they wanted to know more about Jesus Christ. The purple statistic is non-Christians who had a conversation with a believer, and 33% of them walked away from that conversation wanting to know more about Jesus Christ. Maybe it's not as bad as we think it is, folks. And if they want to know more about Jesus Christ, we better make sure we know exactly who Jesus is that we are proclaiming to them. Amen? Amen. Peter gives us four essentials that you and I are going to uh, kind of replicate in our gospel presentation, but four, four pieces of evidence also that point to the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, so that you and I can be assured of as well. The first one that we proclaim is his evidenced incarnation, verse 22, chapter 2 in Acts. He says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst just as you yourselves know. In a remote valley in northern California, 42 radio telescopes point skyward. The Allen Telescope Array is a new and powerful tool for an organization called SETI, which is the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence Institute. The SETI Institute began decades ago, and this latest technological marvel represents a new phase in its cosmic search for extraterrestrial life. The array of large telescopes is listening to the universe. In sync with each other, the telescopes read and record distant radio frequencies from across the universe in the hope that something or someone from the heavens will indicate the presence of an intelligent life form. Do you think these cost a lot? I'm going to say a lot. Folks, People are searching for something or someone beyond themselves. People want to know that we are not alone. I can vaguely remember when I was a, a young kid, and I didn't have a powerful telescope, but I had a window, and I'd go to my window at night, and I remember one time I was looking out at the stars, and I was wondering the same thing. And I remember actually praying to God at that time and saying something like, God, if you are out there, can you show me? Are you really there? 
Do you really exist? Well, he was there, wasn't he? He is there, isn't he? But he was also right here, wasn't he? In the person of Jesus Christ. People are spending this amount of money. Do you think that there are folks out there that want an answer to that question? Do you think that people maybe just don't talk about that? Or maybe don't spend an enormous amount of money on it? Folks, when we look at these truths, so what Peter is doing here is he is giving us the evidence and proving that Jesus, this, this man who existed on earth, is more than just a man. He is God incarnate, and this is evidenced by miracles, signs, and wonders. You're not alone. Yes, there is more out there. There is much, much more out there. And we can know who is out there through the person of Jesus Christ. That's what we're proclaiming. We're not just proclaiming theological treaties to these individuals. We are proclaiming a truth, a profound truth, that will change their life forever, that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son who walked among us in your midst. That's what he says. It is this truth that we begin with that makes all the following truths that we cover possible. Notice the words that Peter uses here. Man, God, Miracles which confirm his message and the messenger. But as, he's, as we're looking at these principles, as we're looking at these truths, notice when he calls him a man, he actually begins with his title and says, Jesus the Nazarene. Why does he do that? Well, he's definitely identifying specifically who Jesus was, but, but we have to understand when he's saying that, Nazareth was not a very, very rich and, and profitable, wonderful place. Jesus, the Son of God, takes the form of man and doesn't come to a place that is, is royal. He doesn't enter into a family that is rich. He doesn't, he doesn't have a life that is, he's, he's famous and he's, he's wealthy and he's doing all these things and he's popular. None of that. He comes to a very lowly place, enters into a poor family, and his residence resident of a town that is, well, not too much to talk about. He's relatable. He enters into our pain. He enters into our suffering. He becomes a man. And, and also the miracle signs and wonders that he is doing speak to his character, speak to God's character. What were the, the majority of the miracles that Jesus does? They're healing people, right? Isn't he taking care of people? What message is God trying to send to us through that? He's trying to say, I love you. I love you so much that I'm sending my son to you and I want to heal you. I want to make you better. 
That's the message of the incarnation. And Jesus comes with a message, and that message is confirmed by these miracles. He says, you guys know it. You've seen it. He was among you. You witnessed it. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Do you think the people that we're going to talk to have heard of the miracles of Jesus? Absolutely. So ask them. Well, what do you do with that? Well, then who was he? Was he really just a man? Because even other sources outside the Bible, Josephus, a Jewish historian, actually says Jesus was a miracle worker. So they know it. Well, what does that mean, though? We can be assured of who he is, who he claimed to be, because the evidence is right here. Second essential, we proclaim his coordinated crucifixion, verse 23. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. I had an illustration that I was going to use about God's sovereignty and man's free will. This easy topic, right? We could just kind of, not, it doesn't cause any problems in churches, especially. We're just going to skate right over that. And I had a, it was about a, an ocean liner and the guy, people get on the ocean liner and they're headed to a destination, but they're free to do what they want on the ocean liner. Kind of good illustration. And then I turned on the radio this morning, and I love when I can find an illustration that is a little bit more relatable than that. So, but before that, I want you to think about what I, I want you to think about what I did this morning, my schedule, but I woke up, right, at a certain time. Certain time, decided to pull myself out of bed, go down. I turn up the heater a little bit because I'm always cold. So wake up, you know, start getting ready. I decide to do the laundry. That's right. Did the laundry. I'm just going to throw that out there, guys. Took down the wash, put it in. All this is taking time, right? Put on my tea. I, I got to have my little tea. Bring my cup, my mug to work and stuff like that. Warm up the car because there's no way I'm getting in a car that cold after such a long night. Wait a couple minutes for the car to warm up, get everything ready, and I go out, and then I decide to turn on the radio. So Sunday mornings, if I catch it early enough, uh, there's, a, there's a, a talk show. It's with Major Garrett. It's, uh, I can't remember exactly the, the name of it, um, but Major Garrett, and he interviews people, and usually they're politicians. Um, and this guy's kind of a cross between both. His name is Fat Joe. So I, Fat Joe is actually a rapper also. And uh, he, but he's on a, a crusade, a, a good crusade, I would say. He wants to make, he wants to make the, uh, the healthcare system more, more transparent so that people can understand if you go to one place, you're going to pay this much. And if you go to one, so that's good, right? We want to know what we're paying and why. He's trying to lower costs and stuff like that, hold people accountable. He's a rapper, Fat Joe, being interviewed on his crusade, and he's asked about his plan. 
and how he, he did all of this. And as he's talking about his plan, this is his quote. I speak it into existence and I play it out. That, that, is, that is verbatim, word for word, exactly what Fat Joe said. And I said, Fat Joe, that's pretty good theology when it comes to the Lord God Almighty, but not so much when it comes to human beings. But if Fat Joe is saying that, he, he, here he is, and I've, this, is not a, this is not just regulated to rappers like Fat Joe. There are people who actually say, I'm going to speak it into existence and it is going to happen. And I'm thinking to myself, man alive, if we had the power to do that, I'd be speaking a lot more things into existence. But here Fat Joe says this and we kind of get a little bit weird and uneasy and queasy when we talk about God's sovereignty, who is really God, who can actually do those things, who actually spoke Fat Joe into existence and this entire world into existence. Why is Peter saying this? Why, why is he saying this? Well, think about it. He's trying to tell the mainly Jewish audience that Jesus is the Messiah. He's trying to say that Jesus is the one God has sent in, into the world to save us, to save Israel. And if they're, if they're going to start believing that with the miracles and the wonders, they're going to say, well, how much of a Messiah is he if he died? He's not much of a savior. Are you kidding me? He failed. He died on a cross. What does Peter do? He preempts that and he says, oh no, don't get the wrong idea, folks. God had a plan. God's plan was to send his son to the cross for your sins. It was predetermined, which where we get the word horizon from it means to set a boundary. It was predetermined and to set a boundary according to his will. It was a deliberate plan, and Peter is not afraid to talk about God's sovereignty publicly. So one of the first sermons that the church gives, we get what? What was last week? Judgment, right? Judgment, grace and judgment, and we get sovereignty and man's free will. One sermon some of the hardest topics in the world, Peter just is like, oh yeah, here you go. And the, the word for, for foreknowledge is more than God saw down the corridors of time and is like, oh wow, I need to, they're going to do all this. I need to react and do that. That is not what that means at all. It refers to the determining of events, very specific events in advance according to his specific plan. Jesus came to fulfill this plan. Jesus came to die for you and me. We can be confident that this wasn't a mistake and Jesus wasn't a victim. He was a willing sacrifice on our behalf for you and for me. Even before Adam and Eve, before the foundations of the world, God made this plan and made this happen while 
human beings were still responsible for it. Peter doesn't stop there, does he? He weaves actually both into the event of the cross. The most heinous injustice of all time, God being killed by his own creation, was his plan to restore that creation to himself, even for the ones who were nailing him to the cross. You see what Peter does there? So, our conclusion, there you go, God is sovereign and man is responsible. You see what Peter does there in the end? And it's the same thing that, number one, we should feel, and number two, that we should do when we're presenting the gospel. What does he say? You killed him. You're guilty. And he points the finger at them. You killed Jesus Christ. And yes, he's talking to the the Jewish people mainly, but we know who were the ones that held the hammer and the nails. It's the Romans, so they're guilty too. But folks, if you and I are going to be honest, who, who put Jesus Christ on the cross? All of us. All of us did. Yeah, he's right. That's right. You say it. That's right. I put him on the cross because of my sin. You put him on the cross because of your sin. That's why he stayed right there. He stayed on that cross for our sin. We are all guilty. We killed Jesus. Our sin held him there. Our wickedness drove those nails into his hands. He submitted to such a death on our behalf because we rebelled. You, me, all of us. But that wasn't the end, was it? But God. We proclaim his death-defeating resurrection, verses 24 through 32. I'm going to read through this. We'll talk about this point. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence." Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on the throne, on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke to the resurrection of the Christ that he was neither abandoned to Hades 
nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus, God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. But God, but God, the contrast could not be starker. You killed him, God raised him. Putting an end to the agony of death. The word here for agony means labor pains. One commentator, I love the way he says this, G. Bertram says, The abyss can no more hold the Redeemer than a pregnant woman can hold her child. It's not possible. And the truths that we see here, and again, Peter is verifying that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And the truths that you and I see here, we can apply to ourselves and those that we are speaking to. The same is that what is said for Jesus Christ in the psalm below and in these verses can be applied for us if we call upon his name. I will not be shaken. My flesh can live in hope. Why? Because Jesus has been raised from the dead. You think people need to hear that? There's no greater pain and agony than death, is there? If it wasn't final for Christ, it's not going to be final for those who call upon His name. I want you to see what Peter does here. And as you're going through a Bible passage and you want to understand the weight of a text or, or if we see the importance of, of what we're looking at, how do we figure that out? One verse he gives to the incarnation or his earthly ministry. One verse he gives to the crucifixion. Right after this, two verses he's going to give to his exaltation and his ascension. Nine verses he gives to the resurrection. What do you think he's trying to say in doing that? He's telling us this is the cornerstone of our faith. This is absolutely imperative. If Christ has not raised from the dead, not been raised from the dead, go home. It's over. We have absolutely no hope. John MacArthur states the greatest evidence that Jesus is the Messiah is not his miracles or his death. It is the fact of his resurrection. The resurrection is what gives us hope. And the resurrection is what's going to give people hope that we're talking to. That, listen, the grave couldn't hold Jesus down. It's not going to hold you down either. It's impossible. Why? Because Christ didn't lose. Christ defeated death once and for all. And he put an end to the agony of death for all of us who believe in him. Gladness with your presence. That's the end result for those who call upon his name. That's the end result 
for you and me who put our faith in Jesus Christ. That's the end result for those that we are proclaiming this truth to. You can have eternal life and one day you can have a redeemed body because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And that's going to happen to us as well. Notice how Peter proves this. He actually gives two, maybe three pieces of evidence or three ways in which he, he, he clarifies this. Number one, he goes to Scripture. So not only was it this all planned beforehand, it's prophesied in Scripture. And he goes to David. He goes to a forefather of Israel and he says, hey, look, David's dead. David's not talking about himself. You want to go check out David's grave? Go right ahead. You want to check out Jesus's grave? You're not going to find anybody. And then he goes to the eyewitnesses. He says, "These we, we witnessed Jesus after he rose from the dead, over 500 witnesses. And now we're witnesses to those witnesses. This isn't a fairy tale that we're making up so we can get by this world. This is the, the, the solid hope that you and I can stand on that one day we're not going to be in this world. We're going to be with him in heaven because of what he's done here. That's the truth we're proclaiming. That's the reality we're living in. We have a living hope. And he's the only hope. Guy tells a story. He says in 1995, my wife Debbie had the flu. When it didn't go away as quickly as it should have, we went to the hospital for tests. The first sentence I remember that the doctor uttered to Debbie was, you've got some serious problems here. My heart sank into my stomach and both turned instantly to water. I had to sit down. Little did I know that my belief and Jesus' resurrection was about to be severely tested by the sting of pain and grief. Debbie was diagnosed with stomach cancer. Four months later, 43 years old, she passed away after we just celebrated our 23rd wedding anniversary. 43 years old. I'd lost my best friend. During Debbie's suffering, I regularly took refuge in the truth of Jesus' resurrection. It had been my major research area for 25 years. I appreciated a student who asked this question, what would you do now if Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead? I knew that the re resurrection had a historical, theoretical side. I wasn't fully aware of its practical power. 
Jesus' bodily resurrection, resurrection, he says, occupies the very center of the Christian faith. After he died on the cross to pay for our sin, Jesus was raised from the dead. He appeared to many people. We just talked about that. In his physical body, which was now immortal. How did all of this help me while Debbie was dying? He says, I imagine what God would say to me in my response to questions about Debbie. He would ask me, Gary, did I raise my son from the dead? Of course you did, Lord, I would respond, but why is Debbie dying? Gary, did I raise my son from the dead? The question would come again, yes, Lord, but Gary, did I raise my son from the dead? I imagine God repeating the same question until I got his point. The answer to Debbie's suffering, even though I didn't know it, is Jesus, if Jesus had been raised from the dead, then I can trust that Debbie will someday be raised also. It was sufficient to know. Because of Jesus' resurrection and because Debbie and I belong to Jesus, we will be together again for all eternity, we proclaim his death-defeating resurrection. But God raised him up again, and God will do the same for you and for me. Fourth and final essential we proclaim his spirit-giving exaltation verses 33 through 34. Oh, sorry, 33 through 35, actually. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured poured forth this which you both see and hear. For David, for it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. I think I mentioned this singer before. His name is, name is Demi, Demi Lovato. I don't know if you ever heard the song. It's a very, very powerful song. And uh, she, this, she's been transparent about her battles with depression and addiction. At the 2020 Grammys, she gave her first performance in a year and a half. In July 2018, Lovato was treated for an apparent overdose after six years of sobriety. Four days before her overdose, she wrote this song. She writes these words. I tried to talk to my piano, I tried to talk to my guitar, talk to my imagination, confided in alcohol, I tried and I tried and I tried some more. Told secrets till my voice was sore, tired of empty conversation because no one hears me anymore. A hundred million stories, a hundred million songs, I feel stupid when I sing. Nobody's listening, nobody's listening. I talk to shooting stars, but they always get it wrong. I feel stupid when I pray, so why am I praying anyway? 
If nobody's listening viscerally, she cries into the microphone, anyone, anyone, please send me anyone. Lord, Lord, is there anyone? I need someone. Anyone, please send me anyone. Lord, is there anyone? I need someone. This is a famous individual who on the outside has everything she needs, right? Friends, money, home, career. But on the inside has absolutely nothing. Thankfully, she voices this. So we know that. Do you think there are people out there today who feel this same way? Send me anyone? The resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ is the answer to this girl's prayers and those who feel the same way. His life means that you and I can have life. And Jesus just doesn't rise from the dead and then go up into heaven and say, hey, I'll be back. You guys, you guys are going to be okay. You know, it's going to be really tough. You know, and I'm not going to be able to talk to you, but I promise you I'll be back. Is that what he does? No, he ascends into heaven and the ascension into heaven is for our benefit. And he does what? He sends us someone. He sends us himself. He sends us his spirit so that you and I don't have to be alone. So that you and I don't have to have fears or worries or anxieties. So that he can minister to us while we are here in this dark place on earth. He sends us the Holy Spirit. He seals us with His Spirit. And where Jesus is at now, He is seated at the right hand of God and He is interceding for you and me. And He is sending His Spirit to those that call upon His name. So yes, the Lord has sent someone. The question is, will you receive Him? We're not just talking theological points to people. We are showing them that Jesus Christ is the answer to all of our problems. We are showing them that Jesus Christ is sufficient for this life. We are showing them that God loves them so much that he has given them his son. We are showing them that they don't need to be alone anymore. God will meet their needs. One way or another. And he meets their needs in the person of Christ. And Christ is Lord over all. Christ is 
exalted over all. And here's a big thing, folks. If we're going to proclaim that, and we proclaim that, Jesus is king, and one day he's coming back, and he's going to reign. If we're proclaiming that, the question is, are you and I living it? Is he exalted in your heart? Have you seated him in his rightful place in your heart? Because if we're proclaiming that truth to others, I hope and pray it is a reality in my life and in your life. And again, Peter ends with somewhat of a, a, a veiled warning. Hey, he's coming back. You don't want to be his enemy. He wants to be your friend. He is Lord. He is Savior. And you and I can proclaim that with certainty. Amen. We proclaim with certainty that Jesus is both Lord and Savior. He is both God and man, proved through His miracles. God sent His Son to dwell among us, to live among us, to experience our pain, to experience suffering on our behalf, who was killed not as a victim, but at the hands of godless men according to the determined plan of God. But that was not the end of it. God raised him from the dead and he defeated death for you and me. And now we can call upon his name where he sits at God's right hand and he'll send you the Holy Spirit waiting one day to set this mess straight. Believe it. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for what? Certain. Know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Proclaim the gospel with certainty and make sure you don't forget Jesus. Father, Thank you for what you have done for us through your Son. Lord, help us to be emboldened by the truths that we read today. Help us to be confident in who he is and what he has done. And I pray, Lord, I pray for anyone here today who does not know Jesus. I pray that they would receive this gift. They would receive him into their hearts. Pray that they see how much you love them, how much you care for them. I pray that they will know you. Lord, help us. Help us to live lives that reveal an exalted Christ in our hearts. And help us to proclaim that truth to many who need to hear it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.